This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. More than a thousand people dead, including hundreds at a music festival. Civilians gunned down, hostages taken. After a massive attack, Israel has declared war on Hamas militants, and we're being warned the worst is yet to come. It's been a weekend of horrific news out of the Middle East, so what's going on? Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. We're breaking down this story for you. Also coming up later, we're checking in on the voice referendum just days out from the vote. So many people are still undecided. What's that going to mean for the result? First, though. Hack. A terrifying new era is unfolding in the Middle East. There are more than a thousand people who have died in the weekend of violence, and there is no sign that things are letting up. On Triple J. Palestinian militant group Hamas has launched the biggest cross-border attack on Israel in years. Hundreds of civilians were killed, including a lot of young people. It's led to Israel declaring war, launching its own attacks. The bloodshed that we've seen over the past couple of days is horrifying. More than a thousand people are dead on both sides. Thousands more are injured. Tens of thousands are displaced. And it's just been a few days. Even if you don't fully understand what's going on here, you probably know that this comes after decades of conflict. In the last few weeks alone, there have been heightened tensions. So what exactly has happened? Well, Joe Lord has been taking a look, and just a warning, there is a language warning on this story. Daniel Moritz was at the Supernova Festival in the south of Israel on the weekend when the free-loving festival atmosphere turned into carnage. We celebrated, we danced, we had freedom, love. Around about 6am in the morning, uh, we looked up and there were bombings above our heads. Daniel and his friend Nadav told the ABC how they were shocked when the festival came under attack from Hamas militants. We just got up and ran away. We left. We just we left there. Found, luckily, we found the hole in the fence and we went straight to the car and ran away. But they didn't get far before they were confronted by gunmen who opened fire on them. We drove a bit more and we saw this around 30 terrorists, like seven pickup cars, motorcycles blocking the road, like a four-lane road. And we managed to somehow turn around. The moment we turned around, we saw on our right side of the, on the road a terrorist with a machine gun firing at us full force. Somehow we, never, we didn't get hit. We managed to get away. We're just happy that we're alive and we're safe. People that we saw and most likely danced with at the party and like a lot of them are dead and kidnapped and missing. It's a fucked up reality. Rescue services say 260 bodies have been recovered so far from the music festival, but there are likely to be more. In this video, there's a 25-year-old woman who is at the festival and she's taken away on a motorbike between two militants and her boyfriend is also captured and marched away. Her father spoke to Israeli reporters. I asked to see the video and then I saw that it was definitely her. She was so scared, so frightened. I always protected her and at this very moment I couldn't. This was just part of the biggest attack on Israel in decades. The Palestinian militant group Hamas took Israelis by surprise on Saturday morning, starting with a barrage of rockets launched into Israel. Then as many as a thousand fighters broke through the fence that surrounds the Gaza Strip and into Israel without being detected. 
They attacked towns and military bases in southern Israel, taking over 100 hostages back into Gaza. We are talking about an unprecedented attack against Israel, never seen before with the amount of casualties. We are talking about 700 dead Israelis in a matter of one day. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu came out on Saturday and declared that Israel was at war and over 100,000 army reservists have since been called up. In response, the Israeli army has been bombing the Gaza Strip. Over 400 people have died and over 120,000 people are already displaced. The consequences of this attack will be ongoing and bloody. The world is doing nothing to end that occupation. That occupation has transformed into the worst system of apartheid ever. Mustafa Bagudi is the leader of the Palestinian National Initiative and they're not affiliated with Hamas. 2.3 million people live in the Gaza Strip. It's one of the most densely populated places on Earth. And Israel controls the airspace and the coastline around it and what goods and what people travel in and out of the area. If Israel ended its occupation, which has transformed into a system of apartheid, we would not have seen what happened in the last two days. And the big question is, are we entitled as Palestinians, like every other human being in this world, for freedom from occupation. Hamas took control of Gaza in 2007. It has a political and a military wing, and it's been declared a terrorist organisation by lots of countries, including Australia. Jonathan Konrikus from the Israeli Defence Force told the ABC that their goal is to end Hamas's control. The Israeli government has instructed the IDF to dismantle the military wing of Hamas and to make sure that Hamas, that terrorist organization that has been ruling the Gaza Strip for uh, almost 20 years now, will not have the ability to govern the Gaza Strip. There's been global condemnation of the attacks, including from Australia and the US. Everything that Hamas does makes their situation, their plight even worse. They bring nothing but death and destruction, not only to Israelis, but to Palestinians. The UN Security Council met today to discuss the spiralling conflict. Here's the Israeli ambassador to the UN. We will not let the world forget the atrocities our country suffered. And the Palestinian representative urged the world to address the occupation of Gaza. A different path is possible, but it cannot ignore the lives and rights of the Palestinian people. It must guarantee them equal measures of freedom and security. You cannot stand for peace if you do not stand up to occupation. Hack Triple J. Joe Lauder with that update. And there is so much to get into there. And so many people speaking all around the world, leaders, everyday people wanting to add their thoughts and opinions on this one. It's obviously really an issue that divides people. The Australian government has responded today. We heard from Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Here's what he had to say. This is of of real concern, uh, but Hamas bear the responsibility uh, for this. Of course, this was uh, a a shock attack uh, that was obviously very well planned and I think has shocked the world. That was Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Let's get into this situation a bit more now. We've got Dr Matt Killingsworth with us. And Dr Matt Killingsworth is an expert in international relations from the University of Tasmania. Matt, thanks for coming on, Hack. 
Thank you so much for having me. The brutality of what has happened, the killing of so many people on both sides has obviously horrified the world. Are you surprised at the intensity of what we've seen over the weekend? Yes, especially from Hamas. This is unusual in both, and and the we just heard the comments from um, Anthony Albanese, sort of identifying that this was both coordinated. So we saw the rocket attacks prior, and then we saw the breaching of the the Israeli security fences as well. Um, I think also the nature of the violence um, is also shocking and horrendous, the barbarous nature of it. So we've seen attacks on civilians. Uh, we've seen the taking of hostages, especially um, women and children. We've also seen the uh, attack at a music concert as well. So, so one of those places that you would generally feel fairly safe at. So it's both, I think, the magnitude and the nature of the violence and indeed in some ways out of uh, something unusual for the way that Hamas has behaved pre previously to this. How significant is what's happened over the past couple of days in the history of the Israel-Gaza conflict? Because it's been going for decades. How significant is what we've seen over the past few hours? Yeah, very significant. And I think we've also got to be careful to not distinguish Gaza from the West Bank as well when we speak about the the, the occupied territories and 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 the, the the Palestinian issue and indeed what what Hamas claims to be responding to as well. So, but the and, and in your lead-in report, uh, the, the the what's happening in Gaza, I think we can sort of trace back to two thousand and seven when Hamas um, takes political control after a breakup with the Palestinian Authority, uh, and, and and even then. So going back to my previous answer, we have. Uh, sporadic violence. So in 2014, Hamas kidnaps and kills three Israeli teenagers. Uh, more recently, in May 2021, um, the Israeli police raided the Al-Haqsa uh, Mosque in Jerusalem, um, which is the third holiest site in Islam, which sets off an 11-day war between Israel and Hamas. But again, I, 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 this is the, the, the coordinated attack and the degree, the magnitude of violence is different to what we've seen at least since 2007. We've got a lot of messages coming through on this one. Someone says, this is really upsetting, the news uh, for what's going on in Gaza and Israel. Another person says, excuse my language, but this is effed. Um, They use the actual F word. And someone else, why is Hat completely ignoring uh, what Israel have done to the Palestinians? Well, look, we're not ignoring anything. We're covering uh, a lot of history here, and there is significant history to cover over decades. I'm speaking with Dr. Matt Killingsworth, an expert in international relations from the University of Tasmania. Matt, what happens now? Like, how much worse could this get? Because we've already heard warnings that uh, there's going to be more bloodshed. What do you expect to happen? I'm terribly afraid, and I share those the 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 the, um, the sentiments of some of those text messages. I was devastated um, at, at at what happened over the weekend, and and I'm I'm terribly afraid it's going to get worse, especially with civilian casualties. So, we've we've seen that I, I think three units of the Israeli Defence um, Reserve. Um, have been called into action. Um, we heard the Israeli Defence Force spokesman talking about dismantling Hamas. Um, it appears that for the first time in a long time that Israeli Defence Forces um, are set to enter Gaza. Um, and from actions previously that the Israeli Defence Forces have taken in both Gaza and the West Bank, they do not have a history of showing of, or, or showing restraint, especially when it comes to the protection of civilians. The nature of of the high-density living conditions in Gaza also means 
that Israeli airstrikes, which is the common way that they respond to terrorist attacks, uh, means that will most likely also be civilian casualties as well. Can you explain, uh, uh, Matt Killingsworth, like the the density of Gaza, like just how small it is and how many people are packed into that area? Yeah, so Gaza is uh, approximately 360 square kilometres um, and over 2 million people are packed in there for... I, I, my best comparison I, I, for Tasmanian audiences is that's the same size as Bruni Island, which has a population of 800 people in the same area. Um, as a comparison, uh, Adelaide has a total of um, 1,827 square kilometres and is home to 1.2 million people. It is one of the densest populations in the world. But it, it's not just the density as well. And, and, and again, in, in the lead into this, the living conditions there are difficult, 50% population. For like fifty percent unemployment, the the blockades both from the south from Egypt, the um, the the marine blockade from Israel to the to the west, and the reliance on that Gaza has on the drip feeding of aid from Israel and the control of those um, checkpoints going in and out of Israel also leads to just a general despair of the population in Gaza as well. Is this fighting, Dr Matt, likely to spark other fighting in other parts of the Middle East? Like, could we see other countries get involved? Possibly. And, and, and this is, and so Israel-Palestine has been the proxy for so much other um, violence and angst more broadly in the Middle East. And you, you might have already seen or you might have already heard that unsurprisingly, Israel is already linking um, Hamas's action to Iran, who is a, a notable sponsor of uh, of uh, Hamas, and Iran is also a sponsor of, of Hezbollah as well. So there's a possibility that we might see Hezbollah get involved from Lebanon, which might also increase, uh, and, and there's a history of Israel um, striking against Lebanon and striking against Hezbollah as well. There's also the, the general concern as well that this attack um, by Hamas has been premised by the news that Saudi Arabia was about to uh, normalise its relationship with Israel. And, and so there is a concern as well here that uh, there are a, a broader regional issues that are linked with this attack that sort of go beyond the immediacy of, of Gaza and West Bank and Israel. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Dr Matt Killingsworth, Senior Lecturer in International Relations at the University of Tasmania about exactly what we're seeing in the Middle East right now. Huge bloodshed uh, right across the last couple of days and we're expecting so much more. Matt, there seems to already be quite a bit of criticism aimed at the Israel Defence Forces for missing what Hamas was planning. Why is that so surprising? Can you like explain exactly the kind of technology that Israel generally uses? So it, it, it's surprising because Israel's surveillance of Palestine is is highly sophisticated and highly invasive, um, with monitoring of Hamas in particular, um, but also Israel's surveillance technology industry is among the most advanced in the world. And so this is why there has been the strong blowback against especially the Israeli security forces for not being able to at least preempt or have some inkling of, of, of what was about to happen. I think the other aspect of this as well is that the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has 
has sort of based much of his legitimacy on the fact that whatever conflict there is in the occupied territories will remain in the occupied territories. This time, Hamas has brought the fight closer to, to home. And, and so, again, the rocket attacks on Jerusalem, the attack on um, various settlements um, outside of Gaza has undermined Israel's, or at least Netanyahu's, um, assurances of being able to contain this particular conflict. So, again, I I think that this is why the criticism has come um, from the the surprise nature of of Hamas's actions. What do you make of the rest of the world's response? Like, what are we likely to see in the coming weeks from superpowers like the United States, for instance? So, unsurprisingly, we've already seen the United States moving a carrier group into the region to support Israel. The United States is Israel's strongest supporter globally. Um, what I'll be fascinated, and I haven't seen anything yet, I'll be fascinated to see the responses from Russia and China, I imagine. And and, and this is me sort of referring to the, the, the permanent members of the Security Council. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Britain and France... Uh, are perhaps a little more muted in their condemnation of of um, Hamas because um, France, in particular, has been a, a vocal supporter of a Palestinian state. But again, going back to that, what I said earlier about Israel Palestine as a proxy for other broader global issues. At, at the moment, while while there's obviously a, a, a Ukraine war that Russia is fighting and China has sort of been sitting on the edge of that in in various ways. Um, the U.S.'s support of Israel will be seen as a as an opportunity for Russia, in particular, to condemn the actions of Israel um, in this as a as a condemnation of the United States. The other one that I think will be really fascinating to watch outside of the great powers is how the so-called non-aligned movement or the global South responds to this. So if we see anything in the General Assembly on what sort of condemnation, it'll be really interesting to see how many countries, again, look at this as a proxy way of condemning the US's ongoing support for Israel as well. Well, there's definitely going to be so much attention on this. We appreciate your insight into it. It's going to be a busy few days and weeks ahead. I'm sure we'll be speaking again. Dr. Matt Killingsworth from the University of Tasmania, thanks for coming on Hack. Thank you so much, Dave. And on the text line, a lot of messages. Someone says, all deaths are awful, but this is not a free Palestine story. This is not military on military. This is terrorism. Another person says, I feel for the Israeli victims and sympathies for the Palestinians, but Israel needs to go back to the original 1947 borders. And someone else says, much like 9-11, it's a horrible situation made worse by the mere idea of the retaliation. So many thoughts and opinions coming through the text line. But I want to go now to an Australian, though, who is in Israel at the moment, someone who was just there on holidays. Asha Lilly is with us. Asha, thanks for joining us on Hack. You're from Darwin, and like I said, you're on holidays in Israel at the moment. What have you seen and heard? What's the situation like around you? Yeah, so we were actually in Tel Aviv on... um, We went there on Friday night, and on Saturday morning, we woke up to sirens going and missiles actually hitting right near our hotel um we were then told it was safe and so we just went to grab some breakfast across the road and we then had to actually like run and hide in a staircase because like missiles were firing right next to us so one landed right in the ocean near where we were which was really terrifying it was kind of like oh are we gonna like get through this moment so it it was pretty scary 
Do you know if you're going to be able to get out safely? Um, I actually have no clue. So we have a flight booked for Wednesday um, with an airline, but we've not heard anything about whether flights are going or flights aren't going. There's a lot of, like, misinformation. So we've been told, like, there were no flights and then we've been told, oh, some flights are going, which is just really concerning because if we can't get on that flight, we actually don't know what we're going to do. So have you heard anything from, like, the Australian government, the embassy, the Department of Foreign Affairs about what you should be doing right now? Literally nothing. So we called the embassy on Saturday to ask them, like, to give them all of our information so they knew we were here. We were told by the person we called, oh, we hope that it works out for you, which is just, like, such a horrible thing to say to someone in a situation like this. Like, they made out, like, we've just missed a flight or something and we're not stuck in a literal war zone. And since then, we've literally had no emails, no text messages, um, no calls, nothing. The only information we've been getting is from um, either us having, like, access to Wi-Fi and looking on the news or from friends back home. Um, Apparently, Anthony Albanese said that he was supporting Australians in Israel. He said that this morning in Australia but we've not had any support at all. We have no idea what's going on, no idea what we're doing. How are you holding up? How are you and your family going at the moment? I mean, I guess you're holed up in this spot. You don't know what's going to happen next. What are you feeling? Pretty terrified, to be honest. Um, Like, we're really lucky. We're some of the lucky ones. We've got friends here. Um, They're Australian-Israeli, and they've been so lovely and they've opened their home to us. So there's um, nine of us actually sharing a house. But we just have, we don't know what's going on. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. We have no idea what we're going to do if our flight's cancelled. We've been told, oh, go to the airport. But we don't have a spare 10 grand to just spend on a flight hoping that it actually goes Um But I just think of all the other Australians that are stuck who don't have friends like we do and they might not have a SIM card. So how are they meant to call the embassy when they don't have a SIM card to actually call the embassy, which is a mobile number? Um, So, yeah, we're we're very lucky that we've got our friends, but I'm just also feeling for all the other Aussies that are probably terrified. Look, it's a horrible situation. Obviously, hoping for the best for you. Good luck, Asha, and, and thanks for having a chat with us on Hack. Thank you so much. And look, we did hear from Foreign Minister Penny Wong today about Australians who are in the area. This is what she had to say. I don't have any information at this stage about Australians hospitalised hospitalised or injured uh, or any fatalities. But obviously, as I said, we are seeking to ascertain the welfare and whereabouts of Australians on the ground. Uh, And I again reiterate, if you are in Israel, please make sure, I'm sure everybody has, but if you haven't, please make sure you make uh, contact with your family to assure us of your safety. And the latest advice on Smart Traveller, just in case you need it or your family might need it, it's advising Australians uh, obviously not to travel to Gaza or near the border to exercise a high degree of caution in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territories. And it's also reminding people that they can contact the Australian government's consular emergency centre. I mean, we heard from Asha. uh, She's not had much luck hearing back from Australian officials. We're hearing from people on the text line who are saying their family have managed to get out of Israel We're going to keep track of this situation over the next few days to make sure people are getting out safely. 
pack. When the undecided crunches, that will be a really important contribution to one side or the other. On Triple J. Well, look, we're moving on now because we're just days away from the voice referendum. Weeks of official campaigning, months of unofficial campaigning, years of discussion, of planning. So many of you have already made up your mind, whether it's yes or no, you know who you're going to vote, which way you're going to vote. Maybe you've voted already, but there are still a lot of Australians who haven't made up their mind. And maybe that's you. You're confused or you haven't really thought a whole lot about it until now. Well, Shalala Madora has been finding out more about the undecided vote in the referendum and how it could impact the outcome. I've been asking questions, uh, friends, family, uh, neighbours, work colleagues, anyone, just trying to get some more info or insight on what people are thinking. Laura from Borloo, Perth, has been researching the voice to parliament for about a month and she's no closer to deciding than she was at the start. Lots and lots of videos. I'll watch a yes video and I'll be like, yep, agree, agree. Then I'll watch a no video and that's right, I agree with the no. Laura's concerned about the makeup of the voice and its ability to represent the diversity of First Nations communities and the fact that not all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people agree on the voice makes Laura's decision even harder. I don't know if any information is going to help me be able to vote because there's still them saying yes and no. More than anything, Laura wants to make sure she's acting in the best interests of First Nations people. It's very, very confusing and I just don't want to do the wrong thing by any of them. There are heaps of people out there like Laura. Here's what the Prime Minister told insiders on the ABC on Sunday. We know that more than one in four are yet to make up their mind. But polling and election analyst Dr Kevin Bonham isn't so sure about that figure because different polls have different ways of determining who's undecided. One is that they just ask the voter and if the voter says they're undecided, then that counts the voter as undecided. The second method is that if the voter initially says that they are undecided, then the pollster asks the question again, gives them a second choice of yes, no or undecided. Those polling methods have pretty different results. The polls that only ask the question once, the undecided race has dropped from an average of about 20% to an average of about 15% at the moment. For those polls that ask the question twice, the average has dropped from about 11% to about 8.5%. Dr Bonham says there are some usual patterns on who's the most likely to be undecided this late in the game. Undecided voters are more likely to be young, uh, more likely to be female, more likely to be Labor voters than supporters of the Coalition or the Greens. The interesting thing in this referendum is that young people are pretty decidedly in the yes camp and older people are a pretty solid no, which leaves people in the middle as the most undecided cohort. It, I think it picks it around people in their, in, their, in their 40s. Former Labor strategist and pollster Cos Samaras says the window for either camp to reach those undecided voters is closing fast. Reaching them on, on an issue they are have either opted to, to, to not engage with or opted out, as in paying attention to, is very difficult. Or you would use popular culture and other forms of third-party endorsements to try to get their attention. He says the only way to do that is to ditch highbrow messaging and hit them in the feels.
in the last week, your only hope of getting any cup for is being completely emotive, absolutely. Cos, who's a Yes supporter, says there's still a chance to get through to the undecided voters, but he acknowledges it likely won't change the outcome. I would say it's definitely looking pretty grim for The Voice. Dr Bottom says the level of undecided voters are higher than at a federal election. But even he acknowledges not high enough to change the predicted outcome, that no will dominate. You just don't get such dramatic movements against the the run of what's been a very steady downhill trend. So at this stage, it seems to me that the only way that, that yes wins is that if there is some kind of massive polling failure of a sort that's not been seen before. Hack Triple J. Shalala Madora with that update. And we've got some messages on the text line. Someone says, why can't we be undecided? Why is that not an option? No, it's a yes or no vote in this referendum. Someone else says, I know people planning to vote just no to punish the government for the poor communication and planning around the referendum. I think that's short-sighted and it makes me wonder how many others are going to do that. We shouldn't get a vote on this if it doesn't affect us. It should be left to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. That's someone's opinion there. Also getting a lot more messages still on the story that we had earlier, the update on what is going on in the Middle East. Someone says the situation in Israel is terrifying. Family and friends in Israel are witnessing incredible atrocities in front of their faces. It's not time for justification. I'm seeing misinformation spewed across the media, including anti-Israeli sentiment, which is dangerous and unsubstantiated. Someone else says, honestly, both sides of this conflict are at fault. Purposefully bombing, targeting and killing civilians has no excuse. Uh, You can go to Hack's Instagram for more information on what is happening in this conflict and we're going to have updates for you as as they arise. It's going to be a fast developing story. Also on The Voice, obviously we're just days away from that big vote. You're going to be hearing from the Yes campaign, people who are voting no as well. There's so much happening this week. And we're going to make sure we try to keep you across everything. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.